You are listening to an Emmanuel Community Church podcast. For more sermons or information about the church, visit our website at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. How many of you here are firstborn? Would you raise your hands, put them up high, and hold them up? I'd like to really get a kind of a good idea. Okay, I'd say maybe a third to a little more than a third of this group. Okay, and last service was about the same, and I thought the early service was almost about half. So a lot of firstborn. So you, you can relate to this. I'm firstborn as well. And uh, being firstborn, it means our parents practiced on us, and uh, they... Uh, Many of them have apologized to us, haven't they? And, and then we learned that we were kind of kept from doing things because they protected us more. And then our siblings got to do anything. And we complained about it because we never got to do those things. So there were some things about being firstborn we don't like. But there's some things that, you know, it comes along with being a firstborn that are positive, And that is... Many times we become a spokesman for the family. As the family gets older, we become the ones who uh, kind of speak or pull the family together oftentimes. Uh, other, uh, other situations, we may have to make decisions and, and, and make plans for the family to be together. And, and then as parents age and so forth, it's often the firstborn who is responsible for those things. What we're going to look at tonight is that if you are firstborn here on this earth, you don't have to be firstborn in eternity. And the reason is Christ took that spot. And for our benefit, let me take you to the Christmas story in the Gospel of Luke. It says, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. Now that phrase right there, same word, same, same Greek word used, but it, there it means she was, he was the first child that she gave birth to. But then as you continue that thought throughout the New Testament, it says things like this, for those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So he is our older brother. Romans 8, we spent a lot of time studying that. You go on through the New Testament, Colossians chapter 1, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, anything. He is firstborn. Hebrews 1, and again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. That's how important he is. Hebrews chapter 12, it's even the name of our church, isn't it? To the church of the firstborn. That's just another way, way to say it, to the church of Christ Jesus. And we are his family. We are his siblings. Tonight, we come to the culmination of this study of the genealogy that we started about five weeks ago. We see that Jesus is the summation, the culmination of the entire genealogy. There are 42 generations in Matthew chapter 1, but they all lead to one name. That one name who has the title of Messiah, Christ, or firstborn. Now, you don't have to take your notes and fill anything in, but we provided you notes, those of you who like to have them. We've provided them. All the blanks are filled in, so you don't have to worry. You can just listen and enjoy. But let me just take you back and remind you a little bit about what we've learned. And by the way, the clever sermon bumper that we've used this whole season, you can't imagine how many times I've seen it. 
and yet it doesn't get old. It's so clever, so, so well done. We've learned about five golden kings five weeks ago, and then four errant girls. Then three different eras in that genealogy, very clearly spelled out. Then, as Pastor Josh taught us last week, two famous dads, Abraham and David. And lastly, we come to this closing thought, the purpose of the genealogy, the firstborn, the babe in the genealogy. I was hoping that I could communicate to you two major thoughts during this Christmas season. One is genealogies, although I know they seem boring many times, can be very valuable. In fact, sometimes you can learn things from a genealogy that you wouldn't learn anywhere else. And I hope maybe you've seen that in this study together. Secondly, Jesus was born of the perfect line, 42 generations, at the perfect time, we learned that a few weeks ago, to be the king, the Messiah, the Christ. And as you read it, at least for me, I'll tell you this. I look at that and think only God could have made this happen. Only God could have put all of these people in the right order at the right place and make it be fulfilled at the right moment in history. Only God could do that. That strengthens my faith. Now, the genealogy in Matthew has taught us, and again, I'm going to review kind of the applications. The very first week, we learned that he's God of the foremost. What I mean by foremost, the most important people. Some of you are those people. Some of you are very important in your realm, in your world. You you have a very important position or role. People look up to you. They admire and respect you. You're considered foremost. But that doesn't make you not need God. In fact, you need him just as much as anyone else. And so we're reminded that if David and Solomon, Abraham, any of these very important people, if they needed God, so do we. <coughs> Second, we learned about the fallen and the forgotten. And some of you really relate to fallen. In fact, some of you have told me over the past few weeks, months, particularly as we studied Romans, that you feel like maybe you've fallen too far. Maybe you're not a person that could even be brought back. But I want you to know the genealogy teaches you've not fallen too far that you still need God and God will redeem you. And some of you feel forgotten. I realize that, particularly in a larger church, sometimes you feel left out, but God hasn't forgotten you. We learned a couple weeks ago that God is the God of forever. It doesn't matter what time frame you lived in. We looked at three different, very specific time periods. And we looked at how people worshiped and looked to God in all those time periods. And every time it was different, but God was always the same. So you don't have to worry about him changing. He doesn't change. He's always God. Then we learned last week that he's the God of the faithful and the fathers. Today, we would say it, the faithful and the parents. People who are good people, Christian people, love the Lord, teach their families, raise their families in a godly way. We still need the Lord. We never get to the point that we've arrived. And then lastly, as I said tonight, We look at the firstborn. Now, to look at him, we need to look at a few words. So in Matthew chapter 1, it says this. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. Isn't that interesting? Just a few words into the New Testament, you get Jesus' name and his title. Jesus 
the Messiah. Matthew's presenting the Messiah. By the way, that Hebrew word is Mashiach. And all we did is take and kind of transliterated the word, and now we say Messiah. It's the same word. It means the anointed one. And so Matthew presents Jesus in the very first words as the Messiah of history. Another way to say it, it's the firstborn. Or another way to say it, in the Greek, it's Christos. It's where we get the word Christ. And Christ is a title. Christ is not Jesus' last name. It is a title. People use his name and his title in prayers. They pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Or sometimes you use it when you teach. You teach about Jesus Christ. And you are actually making a statement when you use those two names or two words together. Some people use that name in, well, when they're angry. And they'll say, Jesus Christ. That fascinates me that people from all over the world, from all kinds of cultures, from all kinds of religions, people who don't go to church, people who are not interested in Christianity at all will still say Jesus Christ. I think, why don't you say Mickey Mantle or something else? But they, they, they seem to always say Jesus Christ. I golfed with a guy this summer in the senior golf league, not the church league, I want you to know. But in the senior golf league, I golfed. I was assigned to golf with a guy, and after we played a couple holes, he was struggling, and he said, Jesus Christ. And I said, yes, he is. A few holes later, he got angry again, and Jesus Christ. I said, yes, he is. And the third time, a little bit later, he said it again, and I said, yes, he is. And he, he looked at me smiling. It was very, very pleasant. And he goes, why do you say that? And I said, because you may not know it, but Christ is not his last name. Christ is his title. So every time you say that, you're saying Jesus is Christ or Jesus is the Messiah. And when you say it, and I'm a Christian, I have to say amen. I have to affirm it. And so I say, yes, he is. He goes, hey, that's pretty cool. He, he thought it was nice. I'd love to tell you he fell on his knees and became a Christian. Now, in fact, I don't think he golfed with me again that year. But... But I think he learned something. And I think it's important for us all to understand that Matthew, in the very first words, gives us his name and his title. The word Messiah is found in verses, in this passage we've studied, in verses 1, 16, and 17. He uses the word Messiah 16 times in his book. Every gospel writer uses it. By the way, when Jesus was born, let me read to you famous Christmas story, right? Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, said the angel. He will be, nope, he is. You see, when he was born, he was the Messiah. At the moment he was born. By the way, at the end of his earthly life, John writes, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is Messiah. That's the message. Now, when you start to read the genealogy, and particularly if you read it, say, in an older translation, the King James or the Young's, or if you are able to read Greek, some of you probably are able to read the Greek language, and if you can read it and read this genealogy, you'll find there's some puzzles here. For 15 verses in a row, it says, Father. Father, 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 Father. That's the focus. In verse 16, though, there is a sudden change. I mean, so sudden that it's almost shocking if you're reading it in the original. 
It's almost shocking. You've read it to the point after 15 verses that, you know, you're just, it's, it's easy. You just wrote. You're just saying it over and over and over, same words. But suddenly you get to verse 16 and there's three major shifts. Number one, from the word father to the word husband. It almost stops you because, and he fathered him and he fathered him and he fathered him. And and then you get to, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Now you see, Matthew is telling us in this first chapter that Joseph was not Jesus' biological dad. He definitely was the husband of Mary. But he was not the father of Jesus as we understand the word father. Many people thought he was, right? Luke 3, 23, now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, comma, so it was thought, comma, of Joseph. Luke is telling you very clearly he wasn't, but that's what people thought. Luke 4.22, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they ask? Answer, no. Yes, in the sense that he is Joseph's adopted son, but no, not his biological son. You see, people didn't understand, even then. There's a secondly, a shift from the masculine to the feminine, a whole passage of the first 15 verses is all guys. Now, I know we've studied four women, and those four women are named by name or at least by their husband's name in one case, but they're never the focus. They're never the subject. And suddenly, after 15 verses, you come to this, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom? In the Greek, of whom is feminine. First feminine you'll find in this chapter. And it's like, whoa, Jesus is of her. In fact, that was the whole Bible story, right? All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, God is speaking to Satan. And he said, I'll put enmity, hatred, between thee, Satan, and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. Now, Many of us, most of us, have been through biology class, and we know that a woman doesn't have the seed. She has the egg. So either the Bible is wrong, or this is a typo maybe, or maybe it's very intentional. The word seed here, Zerah, is the, is the term meaning that she will produce a child with her own seed. Now, obviously, it's not hers, but without a man. All the way back in Genesis 3, of whom? Feminine. You all know this in Isaiah 7. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. A virgin will conceive. In other words, she will not have known a man, but she will conceive. Of whom? Feminine. Thirdly, this is maybe the biggest shocker because we move now from the active to the passive. Again, reading it in maybe the King James, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so, it just keeps going. And every time you see the word begat, or I'll just say in the NIV, father, it's not a noun. I know it reads like a noun in the English. It's not. It's a verb. So-and-so fathered so-and-so who fathered so-and-so who fathered so-and-so who fathered so-and-so, and it just keeps going 39 times. And then it says, of whom Jesus was born. 
was born. Passive. You see, there's not a father involved, at least not an earthly father. There's no active participation here. This is very passive. In fact, let me show you how much so. If we go back to the Gospel of Luke and the story right before the Christmas story, we have the angel speaking to Mary, and he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so that the Holy One born to you will be called the Son of God. Now, did you catch the wills? The Holy Spirit will come upon you. It's going to happen. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you, take you to the bank, and the Holy One to be born to you will be called the Son of God. It's a promise. Mary, are you in favor? I or nay? She didn't have a choice, did she? Now, I believe Mary was thrilled to be the mother of Jesus. But the point is, she wasn't involved. This was a very passive situation where God says, I'm going to take control of this one. And Mary became pregnant without knowing a man. By the will of God and not by the will of any man. The purpose of this genealogy, bottom line, we've learned a lot about it, bottom line, we need to remember that the purpose is in the four Gospels, in the New Testament, the Old Testament, doesn't matter, the whole Bible. The purpose of this genealogy, the purpose of the Scriptures themselves are to show that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the firstborn, the babe in the genealogy. And we're here to worship him. He is the firstborn over everything. So now that we've studied this transition, let's read it one more time. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abihud, Abihud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Akim, Akim the father of Elihud, Elihud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Matan, Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus who is called the Messiah. Thus. There were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Well, when we think about how to move into the end to culminate this Advent season, this series we've been doing, uh, working through the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, and really just the whole experience we've had through the month of December leading to now. Christmas Eve, and tomorrow morning, Christmas morning. Um, the question really that's being begged is, okay, so what do we do with all this? How do we respond? And in a, a body like this, maybe that's an obvious answer for a lot of us, and we immediately have things we can go and do. But I wanted to take a few minutes and just offer some suggestions for how to, how to take all of that momentum into this evening and tomorrow morning. And uh, when I got to thinking about that, what came to mind was gifts. I mean, who wouldn't be thinking about gifts at Christmas, right, kids? Yeah. Uh, By the way, did you know that we're not really sure where the tradition of gift giving came from? There's some controversy around that. Frankly, I don't care because I really like giving and getting gifts. Agreed? All right. So as I was thinking about that, that's what came to my mind. And just this idea that with gift giving, there's two sides of it. There's the receiving and then there's the giving. Both have their blessing to it. Uh, 
And that's kind of how I want to frame our application for the evening and really uh, for this whole series is receiving and giving. And so first the receiving, the, the idea here is that we have just watched this genealogy just point all of these names, lives, stories down to this one particular moment and this one particular person, the baby Jesus. And we've recognized he's the Messiah. He's the firstborn of all creation, right? He's the gift that God the Father has given to the world. Everything before him was pointing to him and everything after him is resolved in him. And I got to ask myself, in a room like this, uh, in a town like this, there have got to be people that I can relate to heavily who have sort of done this every year out of tradition, just the warmth, the fun, the just the thing we've always done to come and to celebrate and to do this sort of thing, but who maybe have never actually been confronted with the reality that we're not just talking about religion or a cultural thing or a seasonal holiday thing. We're talking about a real f- truth that a lot of us in this room have experienced, that coming to terms with and coming to clarity on this Jesus, this baby, didn't stay a baby. This baby was sent. This was God in flesh sent to solve a problem that I have, that each of us have. Not just sin as an existential idea, a theological concept, but the brokenness that I experience in my life, my character gaps, my selfishness, my issues. Copy-paste all of us, right? He came to be the solution for all of that, for real. So Pastor Denny talked about um, how Jesus is named the firstborn over all creation. That comes from Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, where Paul, that's how he refers to him. But if you read just a few more verses, you see Paul says he's also the firstborn from the dead. What that means is that Jesus is the first to, now he's not the first to be resurrected. There's plenty of stories of that in the Bible. He's the first to be resurrected, never to die again. See, he came, he lived a perfect life, a life that demonstrates what's possible for someone who is in right relationship with the Father, who with the power of God can love and live well and be a powerful influence in the people around him and demonstrate true biblical love. He showed us what's possible. And then his dying in our place was to cover our sins. It was to solve the gap between us and the Father that our sin created. But it was also so that we could be healed, so that we could live and act and breathe and move just like he did. That's why he died in our place. And then he raised again to new life as only Jesus, God himself, could do. That's true. When we celebrate Christmas, we're celebrating the beginning of that story arc that culminates in Easter. And I'm betting most in this room have heard this a thousand times. But I'm also betting there's at least a few in the room who can hear my voice who have never come to terms with it for themselves. You've never opened and received that gift. It's never actually had a bearing on your life. And that's not a shame statement. It's an invitation to maybe, maybe this is the year that you actually open that gift. You receive it. And you override this kind of cycle that we can all relate to of just trying to make it work on your own. So my encouragement to you, application number one, is if that's you in the room, if you're even wondering if that's you, man, tug the shirt sleeve of the person next to you, the person you came with, start a conversation. There's people at the doors that would love to talk with you. Just grab a sleeve. This is a safe place to have that conversation. We would love to shepherd you into a relationship with God that brings peace, that passes understanding. 
So for the rest of us, that's the receiving. For the rest of us, I want to speak just for a second about giving. This gift of Jesus, this firstborn, this Messiah that has changed our lives and continues to change our lives as we just wrestle through what it means to know and walk with Christ. And the idea tonight for you is to just think about sharing. So as I, as I was chewing this through for myself, what I realized is I think, I think the simple application is to simply speak his name more. Tonight, tomorrow, in the coming weeks, to work on upping my word count of the word, the name Jesus. And that might sound simple, but listen, this is something, if you're six years old in the room, you can do this. And if you're 60, it's helpful. Because if you're like me and you slow down and think about it, even as a pastor, I realize, you know, it's, it's often one of those set it and forget it things. I'm just used to Jesus being a part of my world. But how often do I actually use my mouth to say his name? Right? Let's say it. Jesus. Right? And so let me encourage you to say the name of Jesus, not arbitrarily, but to just think through and kind of heighten your awareness, heat up that value of bringing him up in conversation. I was thinking about this, parents, when was the last time your kids heard you tell your Jesus story? What your life was like before you knew Jesus? How did you come to know him? How did the gospel become clear to you? When did you turn that corner of, oh, this is for real and this is for me? How did that happen? And then what's different about your life now as a result of Jesus being in your life? When was the last time your kids heard you walk through that story with them? Why not tell it tonight or tomorrow? Why not? Why not just share? Why not just bring him up in a conversation? You know, the other day I saw Jesus do something wild. I know that might sound weird to you, coworker, but let me just tell you why that's not weird. You know, I used to be like this, and the other day I saw that I responded differently. And you know, that might not seem like a big deal, but that's because of Jesus in my life. Does that make sense? Let me encourage you. Let's just say his name more. Tonight, tomorrow, in the coming weeks. Does that work? All right. I'm going to pray with you, and when I'm done, we're going to do our candlelight vigil. And what I want you to think about is, as you see these candles light up, imagine if that's one person saying the name of Jesus, and then another doesn't have to be huge. Maybe it's sharing the gospel. Maybe it's just a memory. Maybe it's just working him in. See what happens in a room when we just bring him up, the firstborn of all creation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love, your passionate love for us, God, for those in the room who need you, who have heard it but never experienced it. Would you help them to have the courage and the humility to start a conversation and to open the gift that you've given to them in Jesus Christ. And for all of us in the room who have done that, would you help us to celebrate you, to worship you, to honor you, to experience you more by speaking your name. In Jesus' name, the Messiah, the firstborn. Amen.